Welcome to the LHA Church Podcast. This is Jerry Galloway, and I'm the pastor of LHA Church. Thanks for joining us today. I pray this blesses you, strengthens your faith to know that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. If you have your Bibles uh, or your electronic device of choice, let's go together this morning to Revelation 21. You know, revive America and the call of the church in the kingdom of God is about seeing lives change for eternity. And we've been for the last several weeks talking about life, death, and the afterlife. Today we're going to continue on in that journey. This morning my prayer is that Today that the hope of all believers would be stirred up in your hearts. This morning I want to remind you of what is waiting. What's waiting on every one of us. We've been talking about life, death, and the afterlife. And this morning I want to remind you that this life you are living now is not the best you're ever going to experience. No matter how good it may be. The best is yet to come. Can you say amen? Amen. You know, for those today, I pray as well, for those today who are walking through a season of difficulty, my prayer today is that you'll be able to look beyond and look past the current trials and see what is ahead. And I encourage you today to keep pressing on for your current trials, my friends, will not last forever. It is a season and they're going to pass. I encourage you to keep pressing on because this life is short, but heaven is for eternity. Can you say amen? Amen. Keep holding on. Don't give up. Keep fighting the good fight of faith. You know, there's something that happens in the heart of believers when we began talking about heaven maybe you've been reading a book or you've heard a story lately about heaven you know even though we've never been there there's a fondness that wells up on the inside of us when we begin to think about what heaven is going to be like our understanding of heaven and our understanding of our future in heaven really is the hope of the church. And our understanding of that hope equips us, it strengthens us, it enables you and I to go through the trials of life with endurance and perseverance. The scripture says in Psalm 30 and verse 5, weeping may endure for the night, but joy, somebody say joy. Joy, joy comes in the morning. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, my friend, your very best is yet ahead of you. And we look at Revelation chapter 21. There's probably no greater concentration and uh, description of what heaven is going to be like. Jesus said in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you if it were not so. He said, I would have told you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, he said, I'm going to come back again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you will be also. And we all say amen to that. I want to be where you're at, Jesus. Revelation 21 gives us a description It gives us a word picture of what that place is going to be like. Look with me, Revelation chapter number 21. 
We're going to begin right at the very beginning of the chapter. Revelation chapter 21 and verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. The first thing that you notice when you read that is that he's making everything new. How many of y'all like new? Nobody ever gets excited about old. Now, there are some that like to collect antiques. But usually... When somebody says, I got a new car, they're excited about it. They got new. I got a new house. Got a new this. I got a new that. You'll find the word new in this passage of Scripture means new in quality, new in character, new in comparison to the old. Actually, the word uh, renew is a good definition for this passage, it's the opposite of what we're accustomed to. When when you're outside, and uh, this morning when you went out, the frost was uh, pretty heavy outside this morning. And I don't know if you're like me, but I go back and I began thinking about the green grass of summer. I began thinking about the leaves when they were green. Swaying in the breeze, you know, they're not swaying in the breeze much anymore because they're on the ground. When I would go out in the last few months and the birds would be singing, the birds are still singing, they're just doing it south. I think back to what was, it reminds us that everything around us is in a state of decay. There's nothing on this planet that is held back from the curse of decay. Now, in contrast to what you and I are accustomed to, verse 5 says, He who is seated on the throne says this, Look, I am making everything. Say everything. Everything. I'm making everything new. Everything. says, first of all, there'll be a new heaven. What does that mean? When he says there's going to be a new heaven throughout the scriptures, the word heaven is used in three different ways. It describes the sky. Now today when you go out, I don't know if you're going to see clouds, but let's let's assume for a moment when you go out it's going to be beautiful blue skies, maybe some fluffy white clouds out there floating around. The first thing he's describing is what you immediately see when you go out. The second time that the word heaven is used in Scripture, it's talking about when you go out at nighttime and maybe it's a clear night and you look up and you see the stars, so many stars that you can't even count them. And you see the glory and the majesty. It's it's like every night God puts on a light show for us. That's one of the other definitions when the Scripture talks about the heavens. It's talking about that. The third is the place where God is at, we might call that the third heaven, the place where God resides. When John says there's going to be a new heaven, he's talking about all three of these things, all three of these realms that we have known them are going to be done away with and replaced, and he says, I'm making everything 
new. You'll notice he goes on to say not only just a new heaven, but he says there's going to be a new earth. New earth. All of you who've been working on your homes, all of you who've been putting energy and effort, and all of you who've been working overtime so you can have this wonderful home, and I think it's great that you have a wonderful home. I'm sorry to tell you, though, it's not going to last forever. The new car, the new house, it's all, it's all going. Everything that we know on this earth is going because we're going to be getting a new earth. Now, if you think the old is good, just wait till you see the brand new one. If you think the old one is beautiful, wait till you see what God has in store. If you think there's, there's beauty across America today, friend, you've not seen anything yet compared to what God is going to do when he makes it all brand new. This concept of new is different than our understanding of new. Because we have a bias when it comes to this. Everything we know eventually decays. You get something new, it's not long until it's broke. We were talking at the back door. Don Long came up and said, in my Jeep, he said, I got it where I got heat on one side and not on the other side. And when he got that, both sides worked. Some of you, when uh, it started getting cold in the morning and you uh, were assuming the heat was going to come on in your house and you woke up and it was much colder than you anticipated it being, you had a problem with the furnace and it was broke. It wasn't that way when you started. Everything in life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's our physical bodies, a structure, uh, an item you can purchase. Every single thing. There's, there's not one thing on planet earth that is left out and makes an exception to this cause. Everything on this earth is in a state of decay. Heaven is not going to be anything like you and I have ever imagined or seen. Nothing in heaven will ever get old. Nothing in heaven will be affected by the curse of sin. It's going to be a brand new concept for us. He said, I'm making everything new, even our understanding. It won't ever change. It's always going to be brand new. Then he goes on, look in the passage, and he says, verse 2, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It was prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, the new Jerusalem is going to be the new city that God is preparing for us. Jesus said, I told you earlier in John 14, I'm going to prepare a place for you. There are four characteristics of this city that we see here in Revelation chapter 21. The first thing he says, I saw a holy city. It's a holy city. Let that sink in for just a moment. It's a holy city. It's pure. It's righteous. It has not been tainted by sin nor sin's effect. It is a city that's been set apart by God and for God. Imagine for a moment, if you will, a sinless city. A city where there's no crime committed 
There's no crimes committed against another person. There's no abuse, verbal or physical. No scams. Nothing being stolen. No one being cheated. No one being lied to. We're not going to have politicians in heaven, but if they did, they'd all tell the truth. Be a new concept, wouldn't it? Nothing sinful, nothing ungodly. It's a holy city. You ever have days you're going through the day and it seems like everybody keeps messing up your day and you're like, I just need to get away from everybody for a little while. Heaven's going to be that kind of place. You get away from all the things that have made this world what it is. You'll notice it says it's a holy city. He said the new Jerusalem, he gives us the name, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. Notice where it's coming from God. The book of James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. Not only is it from God, it's been prepared by God. Jesus, when he said, I'm going to prepare that place for you, imagine, man, if he created everything that is in a few days, imagine what he could do with 2,000 years of work. He's been gone for 2,000 years saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Then John tries to help you and I today in this place. That's what I love about the Word of God. It's so relevant. John tries to portray so that you and I sitting here in this place in November 2019 so that we can get an idea of what he's seeing. He says this, it is a city that's been prepared by God and for God. It is prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, I don't know if y'all have ever been around the logistical side of a wedding, but one of the things that usually happen, you know, most people just attend. So they, they get here 15 minutes before it starts. Uh, or some, maybe you're like the some that we're waiting at the back doors to start, and you're the five-minute person that's late, and you're running across the park. I say, don't start yet, don't start yet, I'm on my way. No matter what it is, you, the only side you know of the wedding is, you know, hey, I got the invitation, I got to show up at this time, and here I am, I got the gift in my hand, I'm here. Congratulations. But let me tell you what happens. If the wedding is going to start at, say, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, about... 7 o'clock in the morning, we have to have the building open because these young ladies come and they're ready to get themselves dressed. And I mean, they're not, on the day of the wedding, they're not running behind. Nobody's saying overslept. This is intentional. If you, if you want to put yourself in a dangerous place, tell a young lady who's getting ready to get married, I can't be there until this time. It'll get you hurt real quick. She'll look at you and say, you be here at this time. She's not asking. Because she has lots of intentions. 
everything is about this day. And she has prepared painstakingly for months, some years. They've prepared this day. They've done this wedding. They've got the dress. They've got the hairdresser there. I mean, they're putting it all together. They've got the jewelry. They've got it all. I mean, she is incredible. I see so many times these young, strong buff guys stand here on the platform and she walks in the door and they start sobbing like little babies. She melts his heart. That's the mindset as John's writing this. He says this city has been prepared painstakingly, prepared by God like a bride who is beautifully dressed. As he paints this incredible picture, it tells us, my friends, heaven is going to be anything but ordinary. The next thing we see in the passage of Scripture, look at verse 3. He says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne say, look, God's home is now among the people. Man, this is this is probably one of the best parts. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Skip down to verse 7. Those who are victorious will inherit all. Somebody say all. They'll inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. It's the thought of God dwelling. It's the picture of how God has dwelled among men throughout the course of human history. In the Old Testament, with the children of Israel, God was on the mount called Sinai. Later, the scriptures tell us that his presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. Solomon then built a temple for the Lord and his presence was behind the great veil. Man couldn't go behind the veil. The scriptures tell us for a man that walked behind the veil, he'd be struck dead. In the Bible, God is always pictured upon a throne in heaven while we're here on this earth. What you and I have always had mind pictures of and what we've always understand is that somehow there's a distance between us and God. We know that, oh, that in the beginning you go back to the book of Genesis and you find God's original intent and you find God's original purpose. You will find that Adam was in the garden and God was there. God wasn't on the throne God was there. In fact, the Bible says God walked in the garden in the cool of the evening. God's smarter than us. He waited the cool of the evening. God walked in the garden. He's there with Adam. 
what we find is that was God's original purpose and we find that God is now once again restoring that relationship with man. Our dwelling will be with God. He will live with us. We will be among him. Listen, friends, we always say, you know, we've talked about tonight we're going to have an evening of worship and it's going to be a great time of God's presence and everything as believers we talk about, I just want to be in the presence of the Lord. Imagine when we are face to face in his presence. I have shared with you before this past week, um, had a funeral service this week coming up, have another memorial service this week, and I've walked over the last couple of weeks with several families who have uh, lost loved ones. That time is very difficult for us. You and I see it as loss for our believers in Christ, for believers in Christ that are our family members. It's not a loss for them. It's a loss for us. It's a gain for them. I never could uh, understand. I, I, over the years, I would be in funeral services and I would uh, hear people say, you know, well, the scripture says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints, Psalm 116 and 15. And I thought, I don't know about you, but I've never yet been to a funeral that precious would be the words that I would use to describe. This week as I stood beside people who were weeping inwardly and outwardly, um, precious is not the word I would use to describe. And I really wrestled with that. And sometime back, the Lord began to speak to my heart and he gave, you know, how I many you know when God gives revelation, it answers the questions? I thought, how, Lord, can the death of a saint be precious in your sight? You see, my friend, what the Lord spoke to my heart is, is that the death of a saint is not the same for God as it is you and I. You and I see it as an end. God sees it as a beginning. You and I see that it's over. God sees that it's just beginning, <laughs> We see death as wrong. God sees it as putting things back right. The curse of sin is finally over. There will be no more suffering, no more difficulties. It's all the old order of things will be gone. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. No longer will he be separated from his children. It's a time when God puts things back in order the way he planned them to be in the beginning. The curse is broken, and things are as God intended for them to be in the beginning. Imagine for me and with me for a moment the presence of God. Everything. You ever had those times when you're in the presence of the Lord, and it was so thick, it was kind of like you could cut it with a knife. You and I have never experienced anything yet that will compare to being in his presence for all eternity. Everything that makes God who he is will be there. And it won't be like he'll be here, we'll be there. His presence will radiate all around us. Notice verse 7, those who are victorious will inherit all of this, you and I understand inheritance, every one of us 
we understand the principle and the purpose of an inheritance. The Bible says every one of us will inherit all of this. Look at verse 4. He continues on and actually tells us, you know, we, we all are we're all looking forward to heaven for what it's going to be and for heaven and for what we're going to gain and for heaven for what will be there, loved ones, the presence of the Lord. And we're, we'll get in later uh, in the next week or two into, into the actual descriptions of the city. But I want to talk for a minute about some things that won't be there. Some things that won't be there. Number one, it will be absent of the curse of sin. Look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I think it's important we understand that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. He's not sending an angel. He's not sending another saint. God himself will wipe away every tear from our eyes. It has been said that tears are symbolic of the pain we've experienced in this life on earth. Tears are symbolic of the things that broke our heart, shattered our dreams, things that disappointed us or disillusioned us, things about which we have silently ever have times where there, there, there just aren't words to speak, but tears flow. Everything that has caused fear, everything that's ever made a child fearful, an adult fearful, everything that's ever caused doubt and disbelief, anxiety, everything that's ever made us worry or feel depressed or disillusioned, Listen, we'll all be gone. 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 You know, sometimes I think it's hard for us to fathom that concept because everything in life we know has been touched by the effects of sin in this world today. Everything. We live in a world that's in days that are full of Chaos, and some days that chaos just seems ordinary. It'll all be gone. The curse of sin that has caused mankind so much heartache, everything that has caused us tears will all be gone. God is always very aware when his children cry. Psalm 56 and 8 says that God collects our tears, and they're kept in his bottle. There's coming a time when God's going to come up to us for the very last time and he's going to wipe away every last tear from our eyes and everything in this life that has ever caused tears and sorrow will be over. You'll notice that he says no more death. Think about that for a moment. No more funerals. No more funeral homes. No more caskets, no more viewings, no more separations, no more parting, no more having to stand beside the grave of a loved one and say goodbye. I want us to take uh, a moment. I hadn't planned to do this, but I just feel prompted in my heart to do this. 
Um, I want us to pray. Uh, Sister Linda Riggs is here this morning, and they just received some devastating news um, as a family regarding uh, her grandson at uh, 29 years of age, and the doctors had have run many, many tests, and the prognosis they gave was not good. Was not good. And uh, I want us to take a moment. Will you join with me? And let's pray for Linda and her family right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come to you. And God, we pray for Linda, and we pray for Bob, and we pray for Sarah and James. And God, we pray for her grandson, James, today, that you will be with him right there in the room. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus right now that the God of all comfort, God, you offer comfort that we don't, um, we can't fathom, we can't understand. You're able to be what no other person can be. We ask you right now, we invite you to come right now into this room. God, would you just come and wrap your arms around Linda right now. She's here today in your house. God, I pray that you just wrap your arms around them and hold them close. God, there's so many times we just don't understand. Why is probably one of the biggest words that we uh, can speak. And I pray, Father, today in the midst of the hurt, and I pray in the midst of the difficulty, and I pray in the midst of all this situation that you will just continue to be God in their lives. You said and you promised us you would be a very present help in times that were difficult. So I'm asking you to be that present help today for every one of these family members. Comfort their hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Heaven will be void of disease. Heaven will be void of sickness. Heaven will be void of everything that has caused us to see people whose lives... Uh, are cut short. This week, my family and I will have a memorial service for my cousin who at 57 years of age went into eternity this past week. No more things that cause death. No more sickness. There won't be any aging. I want you to consider that for a minute. There won't be any more of a season in our life knowing that our time on this earth is getting shorter. Nobody will in heaven go make funeral plans or preparations. Something you all can relate to. No more pains and aches. Can you say amen? <laughs> no more need of Tylenol and ibuprofen. And Why? Because the Bible says we're going to have a new body for all eternity nothing to wear out 
nobody in heaven will get out of a chair and go, oh. Won't happen. Won't happen. We're going to have a new body. Verse 5, he said, I am making everything new. On this earth, we only know things that wear out. In heaven, nothing wears out. The curse that has caused things to age, die, and wear out will all be over. Notice it says, goes on, no more mourning or sorrow or crying. Think about the things for a moment that have caused you sorrow in this life. Nothing will be there that will be able to cause you to sorrow anymore. Nothing to be discouraged or disappointed about. Nothing to be burdened by. There will be no depression in heaven. No one in heaven will have an anxiety attack anymore. There will be nothing in heaven to worry about. No frustrations. What will we do in heaven? <laughs> Nobody will have to waste their time worrying. I have a good idea what we're going to be doing. All the things that have caused us emotional discomfort in this life will be gone. No one will worry about finances. No one will worry about the job. No one will worry about their kids, their marriage, their life. Nothing. He goes on to say no more pain. No more pain. And, you know, usually we talk about pain and we think about it in the physical sense. And it, it absolutely means that. But that is not the only pain that we face in this life. We, we face relational pain. We, we face uh, spiritual and emotional pain in our lives. No pain from broken relationships. No pain from offenses and hurts. No more. No more will there be anybody who's left alone on a holiday. No more will anybody sorrow on a Father's Day or a Mother's Day because of a loss. No joints to wear out. No hearts to clog up. No muscles that will get sore. No toothaches, headaches, backaches, leg aches. No more aches at all. Can you imagine heaven? All the things that have caused us spiritual pain will be gone away. Romans 6 says the wages of sin is death. No more hurt caused from sin and its ways. Last of all, the last thing that we find uh, that won't be there Scripture tells us that not everyone is going to heaven. As much as I rejoice over what heaven will be and the things that won't be there, this is probably the one. You know, when Melinda was here a few minutes ago and she was talking about our loved ones. We pray a lot for our loved ones, don't we, to find Jesus. Not everyone's going to be there. The main question that you and I have to answer is, are you? Are you going to be there? Look at verse 8. But the cowardly, 
the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts. That's a really big thing in the world today when magic and the occult is on such a rise, spiritualism is on such a rise in America. Those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, this next one is tough, all liars, all liars. They will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur, for this is the second death. The knowledge of this is probably one of the saddest truths that you and I have to live with. Truth is, we want everyone to go to heaven. We want our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones. I would venture to guess today that if there's any reason that you and I should be involved with Revive Indiana, it would be because we want everyone to go to heaven. We want everybody to find Jesus as their Savior. But the Bible tells us that not everyone is going to heaven. Statistically, most likely there are people in this room that you possibly made a decision against heaven. Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are on it. But narrow is the way that leads to heaven, and only a few are on it. There will be those that will not go to heaven. They will not experience the things that we've talked about this morning. Scripture is clear about it. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 12. Whoever has the Son, talking about Jesus, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. John 3 and 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. John 14 and 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us how we get there. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's only one way to heaven, friend, and that's through Jesus Christ. We live in a world that is uh, based everything on works. If I do enough good, if I'm a good enough person, it'll get me there. I have stood beside countless caskets, and, and uh, people will tell me, man, they were such a good person. Friend, being a good person uh, being a moral person, being an upright and upstanding, being a good neighbor, a good worker, a good husband, a good wife. That is not what gets us to heaven. Heaven is not based on merit, what you can earn. Heaven is based on the free gift. That free gift comes through Jesus Christ. There's no other way. There's, there's not a plan B and C. There's only plan A. His name is Jesus. The Bible says if we believe in our heart, if we believe in our heart, you know, 
I told you that you can't earn it. Sometimes we've even tried to make it hard with folks. That you've got to jump through all these hoops to get there. Salvation is found in Jesus. Believing, believe, 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 believe. That God has raised him from the dead. We confess him with our mouth. The Bible says we will be saved. with the heart that you believe, with the mouth you confess, and are saved. So I just want to ask you a simple question today. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? I'm not asking today about a religious affiliation. I'm not asking, are you a part of the church? Are you a member at uh, this church or another church? I'm asking, do you know Jesus as your Savior? What does that mean? I know him as my Savior. What it means is I, I understand that I am a sinner by birth. I was born a sinner. We're all born sinners. There's only one fix to that scenario. Jesus Christ came and died upon a cross. He died for my sin and your sin. Jesus paid the price for our sin. The Bible is very clear. The wages of sin is death. But he goes on, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So if I make Jesus the Lord of my life and my Savior, what I've said is, Lord, I can't do anything to earn heaven. I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I need you to save me. Lord, I can't make myself ready for heaven, but I believe you can. And we receive him. Lord, I receive you into my life. Make you the Lord of my life. Be the Savior of my life. Listen, friend, it's not hard. There's not hoops. You don't have to uh, sign up on a roll somewhere. You don't have to give in the offering. You don't have to work a thing. All you have to do, friend, listen, just receive. You say, but preacher, you don't understand all that I've done. Listen, you may not understand all that I've done. We're not here today because of what we've done or, or haven't done. We're here today because of what he has done. He has paid the price for our salvation. And so, friend, today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I want to give you the opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity to receive him into your life today and to experience sin forgiven. Would you join me and let's bow our heads this morning across this room. And I'd like to ask you in this moment, um, if you'd just stay with me, no, no getting up and leaving unless it's absolutely necessary. If you'll just stay with me for a few moments here. Friend, I, I just want to say to you, um, don't wait too late to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Don't wait too late to make Jesus the Lord of your life. The Bible says today is the day and now's the time. I submit to you today is the opportunity you've been given, I've been given to receive Christ. I don't know what's brought you here, and I don't know what's going on in your life, and I don't know what you've done or you haven't done. But I do know this. We're all the same. I'm like you, and you're like me. We all need a Savior. So today, my friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, I'd like to invite you to do that, to make Him the Lord of your life. Because, listen. That's the only way that you and I will ever have the hope of being in heaven one day is through Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Nobody gets there except through me. 
Do you know him as your Savior? This morning with heads bowed, I'd just like to ask you this morning, right where you're at, right where you're sitting in this place, in this moment, friend, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, but today you say, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I want to have the hope of heaven in my life. And I want to make Jesus my Lord. And I want him to forgive me of all my sin. I want him to give me a brand new start. If that's you this morning, friend, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to ask you with heads bowed, would you just lift up a hand and say, please remember me in prayer today, Pastor. Please remember me in prayer today. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I want him to be the Lord of my heart, and I want him to make me ready for heaven. How many this morning who gathered in this place who say, just remember me in prayer today, Pastor. I want to have the hope of heaven. I want Jesus to be Lord of my life. Yes, yes. How many others? You might lift a hand and join these that have already lift their hand and say, remember me in prayer today. Yes, yes. You can put your hand down after you've lifted it, friend. Yes. How many others? You join these that have already lifted a hand. Please remember me in prayer today. Father, I thank you today for these who have lifted a hand. I thank you, Lord, for the fact that they realize today that we need you. You're the only way. So, Lord, as, um, as we prepare to close this time together, Pray together today that they'll take the step to know you as Savior and Lord. I pray, God, that you'll, for those that may be wrestling with fear on the inside and worry and what do I do about this and how do I do that, Lord, I pray that you'll just kind of quiet all those things for them. And, Lord, I pray you'll just come now this room and do a special work in their life, I pray. In Jesus' name, with heads continued bowed, friend, I wanted to pray for you, but I have to tell you, you're the only one that can make this decision. I can't make it for you. What I do want to do is I want to lead us as a congregation. It's actually a simple prayer. It's not written down. I'm just going to lead you in a simple prayer today. If you lifted your hand today, I want to encourage you to pray this prayer together with us. Pray this prayer from your heart. Because I believe the God we talked about earlier that's in heaven today, he's listening today for your voice. He's listening for mine. So today, friend, if you lifted your hand, maybe you didn't. I just want to invite you to pray this prayer with us today. All across this room. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, I understand today that I am a sinner and I need a Savior. I understand today I can't save myself. I need you. So in this moment, I ask you today, forgive my sin. Make me new.
be the Lord of my life. Today I confess you are Savior. And I confess you're the Lord of my life. Receive me as your very own. In the name of Jesus, would you make me ready for heaven? Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You know the wonderful thing about that spontaneous hand clap? The Bible says that when even one comes to know Jesus, the angels of heaven rejoice. So actually, you, when you started clapping your hands, you were just joining in with the angels today, rejoicing over individuals coming to know Jesus. Isn't salvation wonderful? Whew, would you stand with me this morning? Oh, I'm so thankful today for hope, and we're going to, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to continue to walk through this passage together. As we look at the description of what's waiting ahead of us, my friends, I tell you today, no matter what you're walking through today, the best is yet ahead. No matter where you've been, the best is yet ahead. No matter how great things have been, the best is yet ahead. It's not behind us. The greatest is yet ahead. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray today your blessing over these men and women today. Heavenly Father, for these who have prayed and received you as Savior and Lord, Lord, as they begin a new journey today, oh God, oh God, do your incredible work in their heart and in their life. Help us as a church as we walk together the journey with them. And Lord, we all live our lives for heaven as our future. So I ask you today to strengthen each one. And Father, whatever part you would have us to be and involved in Revive Indiana, just speak to our hearts. Lord, our prayers just, you'll, you'll use us to help other people be ready for heaven. So Lord, I ask your blessing upon each one today. Keep them, strengthen them in all things. In Christ's name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. May the joy of the Lord always be your strength. God bless you all. Have a great day in Lord Jesus. God bless.